Welcome to the Monday Night Bible Study Podcast, where we explore deep and we explore wide in chapters of the Bible. Picture. Oh. So that way we can at least still have a uh, have audio. There we go. Wait for everybody's phone to go off. Yeah, I know. Oh, I put mine on silent somewhere. Here it is. <laughs> I was FaceTime at work earlier this morning, and I didn't know how fast this drained your phone battery. Oh. I think if you're on Wi-Fi, you should be should be okay for at least an hour, I would think. Yeah, it was just a lot more than I thought. Yeah. All right, well, let's dive into it, guys. So, last week we were in Chapter 21. Man, it feels like so much longer than just a week ago, but... So we had um, Abraham and Sarah, they blow it in Egypt again. And then they uh, finally have the birth of Isaac, which means laughter. And then uh, Ishmael and Isaac aren't getting along so well, and so they send away Hagar, and God finds them in the wilderness and provides for them. And then he makes a covenant with Abimelech, and then Abraham plants a tree and meets with God once again. And things seem to be going really, really well. The promised child is finally here. And then we come to Genesis 22. So let's, uh, let's go in the same order for reading that we did for prayer requests. Okay. So Scott, you'll go last. So basically, okay. it'll go... Uh, who's on first? Megan to Casey and then to Brian yeah. to Garrett to me, to Jen, and then to Scott. So basically, just Scott... Remember the, just remember the person that's preceding you, I guess. Basically, yeah. yep. So you'll go, after, uh, you'll go yeah. after Jen, Scott, and then, uh, so that means I'm after, uh, I'm after G-Man, and then we'll go back, back to Megan. So let's do the same thing. Let's try to do two verses, and hopefully this will work out just fine. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar then he said to his servants both of you stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go on over yonder we will worship and then come back to you thereupon Abraham took the wood for the Holocaust and laid it on son Isaac's shoulders while he uh, himself carried the fire and the knife. And, uh, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac 
and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I now know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your only son. I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham then returned to his servants and they set out together for Beersheba, where Abraham made his home. Sometime afterward, the news came to Abraham, Melchi too has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Buzz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother. <laughs> Sorry, I think Buzz Lightyear. Kemuel, <laughs> uh, the father of Aram. Um, I did not take Hebrew. Chezed, uh, Hazo, Pildash. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, it's been a long week already. Uh, Jidlath and Bethuel. And Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also bore Tebah, Gaham, Tahash, and Ma'akah. <laughs> I, I envy that skill. He's boasting over here. That's what he's doing. <laughs> when in doubt, I put could the really emphasis... handle buzz. <laughs> when in doubt, you put the emphasis on the last syllable. <laughs> All right. Uh, again, I'm go- I always like to ask the question. I think all of us have probably heard this story before, yeah? Or was this the first time for anybody? I think all of us are probably pretty familiar with it. So a familiar story. So let's uh, let's walk through it. Let's do. Um, let's kind of take one through six, shall we? Before you guys uh, start actually, or you know what? Let's do. Um, let's do one through. Let's just do one and two. Let's just start with one and two. Uh, I'm gonna let you guys go. All right. So. You had now already. Uh, you See you, Scott. A good study. I'm praying for you guys. Hang in there. Thanks, man. And uh, don't go outside. Same for you as well. <laughs> I'll, uh, Scott. I'll have the recording posted, so if you want to listen to it, if you, if you uh, get the chance, it'll you'll be able to do that. Okay, perfect. Thank so, you. Yep. Okay. See you, Scott. Bye, Thanks, Scott. Matt. Real quick, that that link with all the recordings is all of the Genesis ones on on it. Yep, everything's so, on there. Or is it some... Okay. Um. 
can I, can I share that easily with people? I made it an open link, so whoever, it's a public link, so. Okay, sounds good. So if Joe All down right. the street wants to <laughs> log, access it, he can. <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly what I plan to do with it. <laughs> Just start typing it out and leaving it on people's cars. <laughs> All right. Give it to Joe. See you, Scott. All right. See you, Scott. Bye. Gotta figure out how to exit. Hi, Scott. <laughs> Safe out there. <laughs> All right, yeah. All so right. Let's take one and two, kind of setting up the uh, setting up the story. I never noticed that it said God tested Abraham like right away, like right away. He's saying like, "Oh, this is a test," like to the readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen that before until this reading as well. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that last week. But trees and mountains, this becomes a new design pattern kind of thing where not only are they hot spots of God's presence, but they also become kind of hot spots of testing. Brian, I so, also forgot you had the word Holocaust in yours. <laughs> That's right. So uh, my question is, if, if testing God is a sin, why is it okay for God to test us? That's awesome. Good. Is testing God to sin? I, just, I guess I don't know if the premise is true, actually. <laughs> I think Brian's Googling it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think Satan tried to test Jesus in the the desert. That's what I was thinking of to him. And he said something that I don't remember. Oh yeah. Uh, that'd be in Matthew four. As the scriptures also say, "Don't try to test the Lord your God." Read that again, Brian. Uh, Jesus answered, the scriptures also say, don't try to test the Lord your God. Is he quoting scripture there, or is he just saying? Or like, this is just what Google came up with right away. Okay. Mm. It says Luke 4, 1 through 13. Checking that out. I'm pretty sure that's an Old Testament yeah. passage. Well, Deuteronomy I guess... 616. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Oh, Deuteronomy. So 
So I guess then it comes down to what is it, what does it mean for us to test God that is wrong, and then what does it mean when God is testing Abraham or tests us? I mean, the the one obvious difference is one's perfect while one isn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So testing something that's already perfect is kind of a moot point. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, because what's the point of testing something? Like when you take a mm-hmm. test in school... Yeah. You're just revealing. Yeah, you're just revealing and assessing what's there. Isn't another word for testing to prove? Mm -hmm. I believe. I think. (laughs) Awkward silence. Mm -hmm. Any. Um, So it seems kind of, seems kind of like flawed logic to, if we take even out the ethical aspect of it to challenge God or to declare to God that he needs to prove something to us. But isn't there a passage when God, I think I want to say it's like in the prophets when God says, like, go ahead and put me to the test so I can show you that I am faithful and good and something like that. When I say he says, like, together. Is that what you're talking about? Maybe I'm just imagining it, but I thought there was like, you know, put me to the test and you will see that I am faithful and good, but I could just be making something up. <laughs> and would the difference there be if God is telling you to do it versus us doing it of our own volition? Well, I guess it also depends on what does Deuteronomy 6 mean and what does Jesus mean when he says you shall not put God to the test. Malachi has it. He says, and um, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Yeah, okay. That was what I was thinking of. What passage? That was Malachi 3.10. But then you have it in like Isaiah saying, like, I will not put the Lord to the test. Well, even in the Jesus passage, Satan is, is asking... Jesus to do something that is clearly against scripture and then it's in light of that that Jesus responds with don't tempt God or test God so it might seem like testing God has to do more with like crossing the line Mm -hmm. to kind of like like when a manipulation yeah kind of like when a kid is like watching their parent and they're like, gonna see what mom does as I get really close to the line. And I wonder if that's what. The... Yeah, like the cat that slowly pushes a glass off your your table as you watch it. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's... 
I think that seems yes. that seems to be what Jesus is getting at, because Satan is like, "Hey, do this thing that I know the Bible says otherwise, and it's wrong, but you should do it anyways because because you want to, yeah, because you it want to, you. yeah." Mm-hmm. And then that's when Jesus says, "Don't test God." So that might be more of what it means for us to test God. Whereas putting someone to the test where you're kind of revealing truth yeah yeah so much Mm -hmm. how does this compare with tempting like is god tempting abraham or is he test like what like how do how do you distinguish those two that is interesting yeah that's a good question because god doesn't tempt us to sin right yeah well it says in the scripture God doesn't tempt any man yeah. Mm-hmm. right so how is that can't be how is that different than testing <clears throat> isn't the <clears throat> Isn't the end result communicated in the word tempting? Like, I don't think people tempt others to do something good, right? That's true. Mm-hmm. So testing could probably have a different conclusion than the word temptation, I would think. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like test. Yeah, testing is like seeing if they will be faithful. Tempting is more like putting a roadblock in their way and trying to make them trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that can work. I don't know if it does or not. Yeah, no, I, I think it does. Especially in light of, as we've been reading the story of Abraham so far, he's, 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 he's had a lot of blown moments. And so I, I wonder if this is meant to set up of like, all right, the promise, because like remembering that the, the promised son is finally here. This is what God had promised. So now let's see if Abraham mm-hmm. is really trusting in God or if Abraham is going to turn from God now that he has this son that he's been manipulating to try to get and scheming and doing all of this evil to try to get to see if he's still trusting in God or if he's just using God. Any other thoughts on that? That was a good question, Brian. That makes sense with the testing compared to temptation and results totally different. Yeah. And I think it's similar to the, again, we're going back to the tree of knowing good and bad where God set up, don't eat of this. And Adam and Eve had a choice and they failed the test at the tree. So the tree became a symbol. Again, the tree is a symbol of testing. And Adam and Eve blew it. And now here you have Abraham with his own tree mountain moment. And see if he does better than Adam and Eve did. (laughs) Where's the tree? Uh, The wood. 
Okay, anything else on one and two? Kind of setting up the uh, the plot. Um, just kind of a question here with verse two. Um, why does God? And I know he's not. He's he's not lying, but it's definitely not the, exactly true when he says, "Take your son, your only son." When Abraham fathered um, Ishmael, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why would he? Why would he say Isaac's the only son? Um, just purely curious if there's any thoughts behind that if that's referencing the um the true seed of israel compared to the false or wrong seed in ishmael um i just haven't ever looked at that adjective and really put any weight on it and was wondering if other people had yeah that's interesting because ishmael left already right yeah they're already gone okay yeah um is Ishmael still considered, um, <clears throat> this probably gets more into Jewish tradition, I guess. Is he still acknowledged as like part of Abraham's line? Because I know God promised to make him a great nation. But is he still acknowledged as the son of Abraham and everything? Like on a popular <laughs> scale, you I saying? guess not from this. Interesting I mean, stuff. Muslims would say yes. But... You're saying like how would you like, like an average Jew view him today? Is that what you're saying? I think, yeah, I think so. Kind of like maybe he says, you know, your son, your only son, because, um, in the common eye, like, I don't know, not like, not like cast off or exiled necessarily, but oh sure, I guess maybe that's maybe that's what I'm hinting at is like, like Ishmael's kind of severed in his own yeah. line okay if you will maybe that's developing into a great nation mm-hmm. i'm just trying to posit a, mm-hmm. an idea i don't even yeah, know no, if there's I, anything to yeah, it sure yeah that is interesting because nothing else is really said of ishmael but god himself does say and connect him to as an offspring of ishmael so even God acknowledges that. I th- I think uh, I think Carrie's for Carrie. Who's Carrie? <laughs> what? <laughs> I was up at five this morning. I had to go to work all day. Yeah, I'm concerned for Jennifer morning. right now. I think uh, <laughs> I was I was gonna say Casey's theory, and it kind of merged all together as Carrie. <laughs> that's on the recording um, <laughs> i think uh i think casey's first uh theory probably has like makes the most sense that maybe the solemnness or the seriousness of what is about to occur required an emphasis like an extra em- emphasis on the direct see the promised one isaac like yeah. this is the one leave no doubt this is the one i want you to sacrifice Just I would, yeah i i I would lean towards that, I think. Okay. Anything else on one and two? All right, let's take uh, three through six then. Turn this down. So whenever you read uh, in for Hebrew, 
tree and wood both are the same same uh same word so there's kind of some word play so whenever you read the word tree or wood it's always the same it's eights eights Any questions, comments, thoughts, observations? Um, I guess it looks like this was a three-day journey to get wherever they were supposed to be. Just based off verse 4, on the third yep. day, Abraham saw the place from afar. So, just curious, at what point does Abraham break the news to Isaac, which we read where he does, but he's got like two, two, two and a half days to think this through and think about it over and over and every other which way possible. Huh. Just can't imagine what the guy's going through by the time uh, he's at the point where he's got to have the conversation in verse uh, 7. Yeah. I've never thought of that before. That's really good, Casey. Yeah. Oh, and if we're if we're talking if we're if we're including verses, what's this through three through what is that three through six? six? Is that what we're on? Yeah. Okay. Um, what's and I this is not original to me by any means. This was something I got from one of the elders of my home church. But um, just the language that Abraham uses when he tells the young men that went with him when he says, "Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go there, worship, and then come back to you." Um, just the amount of faith it took him to say that, just as a surety. Of he doesn't know what's going to happen, but he's just, he's telling his young men that whatever happens, we're coming back to you. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to me because it points to just the, the faith that Abraham has at this point in the journey as to there's only one or two ways this can happen. Either he doesn't sacrifice the son or he does, and God performs some miracle, probably raising of, the, of Isaac from the dead. Um, yeah, and so to me, it's it's cool to to think about Abraham and where his mindset is as he makes that statement. Mm. Yeah. Can I add a counterpoint to that? Ooh, well, by all means. Like in the past, that Abraham has used little little tiny lies almost to make it easier on him. Um, obviously, multiple times with his wife, and it just seems like yeah, he always has used just lies just to kind of make you know so what what is the chances he's just saying that just to not tell them that is technically <laughs> yeah. sacrifice his son Ooh, that's really good yeah well that's good man 
think it just would depend on how you read um, Hebrews 11 and whether you feel that that is talking about um, I don't think it was abundantly clear uh, let's see here Do you have so, Hebrews 11 pulled up yeah um, yeah well, why don't you, you read that for us sure um, by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So I guess it kind of depends how you read this. I mean, yeah. obviously Hebrews is written after Genesis, so it's you could at a glance say that it's looking back. Um, is there enough in the passage to say that it was Abraham's mindset before the sacrifice? Uh, I think so, but I'm not entirely certain. But I, I've always heard it interpreted that way, and that yeah. even as Abraham even as Abraham and Isaac are like climbing up this mountain together, uh, part of why Abraham has such faith is that it's demonstrated in Hebrews that he, he just he knew that God would be faithful to his promise of, of mm -hmm. the descendants and creating a nation through him. And so, surely, if God's going to have him sacrifice Isaac, and that's the way it has to be, um, then God's going to raise him from the dead. <clears throat> yeah, Hebrews 11 does seem to point to this as a pretty full-fledged act of faith and trust. Yeah, because, because the two... The two main stories that Abraham's life gets, that get uh, spotlighted are Genesis 15 and the flaming torch and that whole thing. And it, he trusted God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then this story are the two that James, Paul, and Romans, that they always go back to, both as an example of Abraham's faith. So it seems like as it'd be interesting to see if Abraham was maybe trying to be deceptive, but the New Testament does seem to paint it in a pretty positive light. But it's an interesting thing to think through. Yeah. Sorry, my freezer's going off here, but <laughs> I get to add another thing. Um, is it like, is it really much of a test if you already know that it's going to end up in your favor. Mm. I wonder if that's kind of the test though, is seeing like, is, you know, testing Isaac's commitment and, Abraham's. sorry, Abraham's commitment and belief in the promises of God. Like, like, are you really going to trust me? Like who made this promise to you? Yeah, because if the it's whole promise was Isaac is Isaac is the child that's promised, and then your family line is going to continue through Isaac, then killing him on an altar seems to be completely against that. Mm -hmm. So maybe that is the test of saying, you believed me to provide the kid for you, now will you believe me in giving him back to me. Mm -hmm. 
It's telling too that um, like Abraham's the one that has to actually perform the sacrifice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's one thing to just like be willing to give up your son and just trusting that God will you know, perhaps, perhaps like raise him from the dead or preserve the line in some way, shape, or form, but to actually physically have to go through taking life from his own son after waiting all that time. It's like you can believe all you want, and then there's the element of like, I say that I believe it, but now I actually have to put my faith to action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is exactly the point that James chapter 2 makes of Abraham, where the whole passage of uh, faith without works is dead. This is the passage that James points to. of, And he says, I mean, exactly what you said, Garrett, where even James says, you say that you have faith, but I have works. You know, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And then he points, he's like, wasn't Abraham, didn't he prove his faith when he offered up Isaac on the altar? So that that is that does seem to be how the New Testament looks back to Abraham in this story, is to say that he his faith was put to action. It wasn't just a head thing or just a mouth thing it was his whole life so should we expect in 21st century American culture to have God basically have us prove to God that we are truly faithful to him on a day in day out basis or is that something that is more used um back in Old Testament times? I mean, I, I, I figure the answer is yes. I just hadn't thought of it this way before. Why did, did you get a... We have to prove to God. I mean, did you get yeah. a vision last night to you go, to like, to offer up someone? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> so did you have a dream last night? And I didn't hear it, no. Someone, you weren't told to go to some mountain and sacrifice something or someone? Nah, that, that's on Friday nights. I get those <laughs> <laughs> It's like no. Survivor. Like, which? No. who from the small group is going to be left at the end of the night? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, certainly nations, certainly nations abroad are facing persecution to the level where they really are having their faith tried and mm-hmm. tested. Um, mm-hmm. We may have that to some degree here, but it's um, exponentially smaller, um, which, you know, could be interesting when the time does come um, as far as, you know, the genuineness of those that have proclaimed to have faith and how quickly that might either be strengthened or crumble yeah. when adversity comes. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the whole point of the book of James, like we saw going through it, of having authentic Christianity. That if you're going to claim to be a Christian and claim to have faith in God, that that's going to manifest itself in your life. And so there should be some evidences and proofs of faith in some way shape or form all right anything else on uh, one through six questions comments thoughts observations
<clears throat> if you translate wood differently as tree, it's kind of interesting to see a son who is having a tree laid on his back as he carries it up a mountain. Okay, anything else? One through six? Nope. Yeah, I see it. No, not on my side. Alright. I'll add uh, here then. So if, if uh, we're using the imagery of Isaac with wood to, I mean, obviously kind of compared to Jesus, you know, the son on the wood, would the significance of Abraham holding fire and a knife be anything? Would, would Isaac be compared to the father or in this, uh, I guess, you know, analogy? I don't know. I, I mean, we've is. used fire as for spirit before. Mm. Yeah. Um, but knife? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> Wait, what is your question? Is that Abraham as so, compared to the father? Okay. Well, okay, so if, if we're using Isaac as an analogy for Jesus, yeah. kind of, you know, photo, uh, what am I, what's the word I'm thinking? I can't think of the word, but so, uh, foreshadowing. So if it's foreshadowing Jesus and then, um, yeah, it says that, uh, Abraham was carrying, so he was carrying the wood while Abraham was carrying fire and a knife. So I was just wondering if, since the wood would represent the cross would the fire and knife represent something as well. Mm -hmm. And then I just noted that the only thing I thought of fire would be spirit. Um, but the knife would, I don't know if that's mm. just, just telling the story. Yeah. I don't think knives have any, there's really, I don't think of any design patterns or. It's just, I mean, unless, oh, go ahead. Well, this is kind of um, like typical for a burnt offering, right? Where they're like cutting it and there's fire and. All of those things. So, like, like in general, how does a burnt offering translate into the New Testament? Yeah, maybe that's that's more of the. Because some of it is <clears throat> obviously not every aspect is 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 going to have anything there if you push on it, but there's definitely some like oh, that's kind of interesting of the similarities. But I, I think the aspect of an offering is probably the biggest picture. Because it's mentioned that he gathers everything for a burnt offering. Isaac asks about the offering and the lamb. So maybe fire and knife aren't anything in particular other than representations of a burnt offering and a sacrifice. But which clearly become 
New Testament gospel images. Yeah. Well, but how? Just how does a burnt offering become a gospel image? Like, where do you see that? Are you talking oh. about like Hebrews, like consuming fire, or? Uh, I guess I'm not saying burnt offering explicitly, but as okay, an offering, offering sacrifice. Yeah. Okay. Is it there's? <laughs> Because then you have the ram later, so there's clearly a sacrifice made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a like substitute. So yeah. Yep, a substitute. Yeah. So there is something to that, but does it go that detailed? I don't know. Yeah, and that's some of the difference where it's like, well, Isaac carries the tree up the mountain, but then he doesn't die. <laughs> that obviously breaks down a little bit there because Jesus actually did carry the tree up the mountain and he died but he was the substitutionary mm-hmm. lamb so there's a little so, bit of play with it but but i wonder if that's what makes it so beautiful is that like you know you're looking to jesus like oh this looks a lot like like isaac right like he's carrying it up there's got to be someone that goes in this place and then you see he is he actually dying yeah. and then you realize oh he was a substitute for us there yeah. isn't a substitute for him yeah yeah I, I think that works because obviously isaac isn't jesus and so he kind of fills in the shadow a little bit more of what it looks like mm-hmm. what were you saying g-man well, oh that was does a hmm oh I was going to add though, it, it may seem also like it's, it's also, uh, trust on, on Abraham's part or faith on Abraham's part mm-hmm. that, um, if he wasn't planning on actually, you know, going through with it, he wouldn't probably brought the, you know, tools up the mountain to do, to perform it. Yeah. And that's a good point. Yeah. I think that's good, Brian, because it's not like, all right. God tells him, go sacrifice your son. And then he's like, well, I'm going to leave the knife here and all the, <laughs> the things. But he's... When he has it in his hand, too. Like, in verse 6. Like, ready to do it. All right, let's add 7 through 10. Oh, man, that interesting conversation. Hmm. It's really easy to focus on uh, Abraham and what's about to happen and then lose sight of Isaac, I feel. And just his response, or in this case, lack of response and just <laughs> some level of faithful obedience to yeah. uh, what his father is, you know, seemingly to command, like seemingly commanding him to do. <laughs> like whether there was a conversation that was omitted or not, I guess we can't know for sure, but it seems like uh, the end result is that Isaac is willing to obey even up to the point of losing his life. Yeah, this is just kind of where it's hard to understand how how he's, his lack of response. Because if I was that age, whatever, how old do we think Isaac is in this case? He wouldn't be like 
much more than 12, 13. I think, um, like doesn't chapter 24 tell us Isaac's age? It's a monster chapter, but just saying we could kind of guesstimate or work our way back slightly from there, but I don't know. Maybe there's a different passage that I don't know. helps in that. Uh, well, what well, we... we can assume he's old enough to carry up the wood for the, the fire. Um, and then he also did call him a uh, boy earlier in the chapter. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, it would, it would allude to me that either like old, an old kid or uh, a young teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, at least yeah. 13, just a right? assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Verse five. I yeah. am the boy. That'd yeah. be a little weird if the boy was like 35 <laughs> with a full beard. No, 35 is young. Conveniently. It's a little whippersnapper. Yeah. A little whippersnapper. Well, we knew Ishmael was like, didn't we say oh, Ishmael? Ishmael was 13, yeah. Oops. Okay, so chapter 21, yeah, yeah. Isaac Even. is born. Even even the Lord in verse twelve says, "Do not lay your hand on the boy." Yeah. And when he's saying like, "Do not lay your hand on your son," I mean that's kind of semantics, but I feel like you know, boy seems very specific. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really, nothing, I'm trying to read 21, nothing really gives us any clues, does it? Anybody seeing anything else at all? I'm checking 24, but it's so big. I could have swore that something was in here that mentioned his age. Well, but even 24, though, that's like... Yeah, that could be decades later. Yeah. How much time passes. It doesn't say. At least I'm not finding anything. But I think like Brian pointed out... Maybe it's just how they're raised. It's probably why they're a lot more calmer. I don't know. But I'm putting myself in the shoes of Isaac. I would not be taking this this way. And according to to Wikipedia, which is always right... Um, according to rabbinical tradition, Isaac was 37. What? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yeah, so, just it, yeah which, so it says, uh, yeah, in rabbinical tradition, the age of Isaac at the time of binding is taken to be 37, which contrasts with the common portrayals of Isaac as a child. The rabbis also thought that the reason for the death of Sarah was the news of the intended sacrifice of Isaac. (laughs) I mean, uh, I feel like she's definitely at the age at that point where that would give her a heart attack. (laughs) Oh, 23. But also, like, that makes Isaac's willingness more profound, too, like, in line with what you were saying, Casey. Isaac, wait, so Sarah, oh yeah, I mean, maybe this could have been later, but 23-1 says Sarah was 127 years old, which is where that's coming from, and she was 91 when, um, 
when Abraham was born. Or is that Abraham? Or um, when Isaac was born. So then that would put him at 36 when she died, at least. Which is closer. Hmm. Interesting to point out. Yeah, so then, so that's not a, a point of, you know, I guess, uh, unknowingness of, on Isaac's part of what's happening. It right. seems like. Either way, yeah. Even it's like conversation he had with his dad, it uh-huh. kind of seemed like he had yeah. suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it and, does seem. And, I mean. Good. Well, I mean, if he's, you know, uh, strong strapping lad slash boy um it's, it's even it's even more fascinating that he doesn't like out of a desire for self-preservation or just um wait you're not going to do this until you explain to me what's going on like try to fight for his life yeah. or resist his father in some way yep <laughs> lottie took megan's spot yeah <laughs> yeah that is good because <laughs> yeah you're right i mean often <laughs> Isaac does have a big part in that too, so. Cool find. Yeah, it is good. Would not have thought that. I think it's cool in verse 8 seeing the emphasis on God is the one that is taking care of everything. Like, God himself is going to do this. Which kind of sounds like back in uh, chapter 15 when he swore by himself and it was his own swearing on himself to fulfill these things. Mm. Also, do you guys have a note on the word provide in verse 8? I do not in the ESV. Not today. Does everybody say provide in verse 8? Yep. Okay, no, there's no note or anything on it? Nope. Does Johnny Max say anything, G-Man? <laughs> no, anything ambiguous, t- anything ambiguous, he tends to just skip. I'm <laughs> kidding. There's just no note whatsoever. <clears throat> Interesting. So the word so provide is the is the word for see, which is the same thing that we've seen when Eve saw the tree. God saw that it was good. So it's the word for looking or seeing or sight. <laughs> Lottie took your spot. I saw that. <clears throat> which is a way to describe like which I think is why they translate it as provide because when you see to something you're taking care of it you're providing for it so like in the context there's the aspect of providing but I do think it's interesting that it's the idea of seeing something that God sees and he's going therefore he sees it and because he sees it he knows the need and then will take care of the need by providing because he saw the need, which causes him to provide for the need. So I guess kind of just kind of interesting thoughts. And then even later on when it says that the place is called God will provide or God will see or see to it. 
All right, anything else kind of one through ten? to it but maybe just a interesting observation that um that god takes abraham all the way to the point of no return before calling out to him and stopping him like yeah. it's a it's a it's like a 100 percent thorough test all the way to like the last possible second <laughs> yeah it is i mean it's like he reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. And it just ends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, lays him on the altar, binds him with to the wood, and, like, just all those things. And Abraham's probably just thinking, okay, God, anytime now. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, it's, I mean, it just shows it even more, too. I guess maybe I'm saying that wrong as I'm thinking it out loud. Um, Abraham's probably not thinking that because he's willing to fulfill everything to the letter um, because mm -hmm. of his faith that God will raise him from the dead. Yeah. Which, that is even more incredible because I don't think that's happened yet. Right? We don't have any other occurrences of somebody yeah. rising from the dead. So mm -hmm. to have that aspect of faith when you've not seen it demonstrated even on a really miraculous unique basis right. is pretty incredible yeah. oh, I've never thought of that before it is really good alright any other final thoughts on 1-10 uh, through 10? All right, well, let's take 11 through uh, 11 through the end. Or at least the end of the story, so 19. Interesting to know. I think there's a difference here, and when it t talks about in verse 13, Abraham lifting up his eyes, that's different than what we've seen in the past. Of um, at least I think, and correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think it's different from what we saw in prior passages about our eyes were Abraham's eyes being opened. I think this is much more of a he missed saw something or are we supposed to look at this as the same kind mm -hmm. of uh his eyes were open even though it says lifted up his eyes mm -hmm. verse 13 where did we see eyes being opened oh hagar hagar's eyes were opened yeah oh whoa That's fascinating. Yeah, so 
I don't know <laughs> what that is supposed to mean. Because it's clearly different than the Hagar story. Yeah, because if there's no eyes being opened, he just he's seeing. But then, but look, look what he does. He sees the ram, so he takes it and offers it. <laughs> it's, I think it's the first time we've seen someone doing that, but it's good. Seeing, taking, offering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's the same. It's the same vocabulary, but this time it's good, and he's passing the test instead of failing. Hmm. I wonder if the just thinking back on the whole like potential gospel tie-in and everything. I wonder if there's something to that with this whole test thing because there's still a cost of life that occurs yeah so i don't know i guess i'm just i'm just trying to figure out from abraham's side of the divide if you will from the old testament like what would the logic or reasoning be behind the fact that before this test can be complete, there must be a life that is ended. And in this case, it'll be the ram instead of his son. So maybe that just adds more strength to that prior discussion point. Yeah, because it does seem like Abraham understands the fact that that the aspect of substitution... You know, I guess we could say substitutionary atonement of someone else dying and shedding their blood for me. Yeah, and it doesn't even say in the text, like, God doesn't even have to tell him to sacrifice the ram. Yep. Like, he just sees it and then does it. Just does it. <laughs> yep. So there's definitely something going on there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and and like you said before, when you when you get back to when you get to Jesus, I mean, like look at the you have you have a tree, you have a mountain, and then you have provision, and there you have one ram that provided for one person. But when you get to the mountain of Golgotha, you have one lamb that is provided for everybody else. Which kind of shows you the drastic contrast or divide or gap between a man, well, it's not really man-made, but a a man-manufactured sacrifice and then one of the Son of God. <clears throat> yeah, and because we're seeing like we're seeing this compounded right of the snowball where Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, and so we realize that we need someone to intercede for us. And here, a ram is offered in the place of someone else, and there's provision. And then, like that theme continues to just grow and grow and grow. 
until, like you said, it's more than just a ram, more than just Isaac, more than Noah, more than Abraham, more than Moses. You have someone who fulfills and satisfies all of that. And it climaxes on a mountain. And it's the, the one once and for all sacrifice. Yes. Yep. So like ends this sacrificial system altogether once yep. it's done. Yep. I guess there's another point here. Um, thanks to Google that um, the first time the word love is used is in 22. Um, so uh, it's oh, talking nice. about the, the son you you love and then they do call him the beloved son twice in uh i think is it once he calls him the beloved son and i want to say like 16 that's 16 and is it 18 either way it's, they do call him the beloved son twice then after that so it is interesting this is the first time that love as a concept is brought up some sort of parallel with the whole like God's only begotten son thing in uh yep in the in the uh the Septuagint so the Greek translation of the Old Testament the word for the way that the Greeks translated take your son whom you love is the same word that is declared by God at the baptism my beloved son Mm. The son whom I love. It's the same same word. And I I found this out today. Uh okay, we're uh do you know Lahan, you have not okay. You have not withheld your only son from me. So that word withheld in twelve twenty two twelve is everyone else's withheld? Yeah. Twenty two twelve. Yeah, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Mm-hmm. In. Yep. Old. In Romans eight, when mm-hmm. Paul says in Romans eight, so we know all things work together for good, and then he says in thirty one. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Verse 32, he did not even spare or withhold his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? God is like that whole passage. All of the vocabulary is the same from this passage. So Paul says, God didn't withhold his son, but instead offered up his son. And now, who can be against us? Because we have God and he's given us his only son. So the vocabulary from this story, the New Testament picks up on and uses the vocabulary to describe the gospel. (laughs) That's what happens. It is interesting, too, that in in 22.2, it's not... Abraham saying that he loves his son. It's God mm. telling Abraham to yeah. give up the son that he loves. Yep. Whereas, so it's 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 kind of interesting that the first time love is brought up is coming from God. 
Yeah. Hmm. And if this really is a shadow of the relationship of God and his son, like seeing that he understands mm-hmm. loving an only son and putting him to death. Yeah. Yeah, because you have, like, as Garrett was mentioning earlier, Isaac is willing to go through with this, even though he clearly knows what is going on, but may not understand the full ramifications of it. So also you have Jesus as the son praying in the garden and realizing, like, is there any way to avoid this and kind of coming to grips and wrestling through being laid on the wood mm-hmm. and maybe not obviously he's God but not knowing what he's about to walk into and the full effects of that hmm. alright what else on a uh... 11 through 19. And then the mountain. This the 16 through 18 uh, reaffirmation of the covenant already, or is there something else added? I don't see anything new other than just now I'm because you've proved your faith. I'm going to do this. I will surely in verse 17, bless you. I will surely multiply you and your offspring. And nope, that's it. I only see surely twice. Yeah. Which is like we talked about before. That's the, uh, the doubling of the verbs. I will bless, bless you. <laughs> and I will, Multiply, multiply you. <laughs> A double, double blessing. I'm with I'm with Casey though. Like, what are some thoughts as to why this is here? Mm-hmm. And he says, like, because you've done this, I, I'll do this. So is it like conditional again? Like, oh, conditional. Ooh. And did God like not let him know that it was conditional until? After he passed the test. <laughs> I mean, like, if it, had Abraham not followed through on this test, <laughs> obviously, it's, I mean, we don't know, <laughs> we don't know is the answer, I mean, but, like, what are, yeah, uh, what's the fallout of that, and how does that relate to <laughs> this, this uh, covenant? So I think our knee-jerk reaction is always, like, God would fulfill his promise, and it's not a conditional covenant. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm just curious, why is this here? And I don't know. It, it does seem a little vague with the whole, like, because you have done this and have not done this, I will surely bless you. <clears throat> I 
Yeah, it's weird because, I mean, it's been like three times already that God has established that he's going to do this. Like chapter 12, chapter 15, and then chapter 17. Is this... Uh, just a quick note, um, chapter 17, verse, I think it is verse 1 into 2, God saying, when he talks about, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And then he says that I may make a covenant, not that like he's do, he's made a covenant with you. He, he, I'm looking at the word may, in that I may make a covenant, that I may multiply you greatly, may, may. I see that twice in 17. So that to me, that's like really intriguing that there was. It's interesting. Uh, Where's the location of this? Uh, 17 verse one going into two. And I really want to hear what other versions say on that. But then verse 9, Casey, in 17, he says, I sh- you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Mine doesn't say may. Mine says will. Yeah, mine says will, too. So I think it's, I think it's probably just like a future tense verb. But, but it, may, might, Yeah, will. but then I think to his point that the covenant actually hasn't been like solidified, I guess. Right. Like the burnt offering might've been the, Mm -hmm. you know, the deal maker. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of that weird. I wonder if the, I mean, this might be a little bit Mm. abstract, but I wonder if this kind of com- almost compares to salvation for us in the covenant that God makes with us, like it's not conditional because we know that God keeps his promises no matter our faithfulness, but he also calls us to be faithful and, and believe in order for him to make that covenant with us. So it's kind of that like, like, dual aspect of salvation and and a lot of his covenants are like that right where it's like you know i you know i'm going to keep my covenant because i am god and that's what i do and i don't lie Mm -hmm. but but he also often threatens a lot of those covenants to say because of unfaithfulness so i wonder if this kind of applies there too where he's saying like yeah because you've done this like because you've been faithful i'm gonna still keep this covenant like, I don't, I don't know if that's true, but... It does seem to... I, I've heard some people phrase it, and I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this. This might be weird, but... I've heard some people describe it like God's covenant is unconditional, but it's not unconditioned. Yeah. So, it's unconditional, but it's not unconditioned. And by that, I think they're trying to get at, it's unconditional, meaning God is the one that swears by himself and he will do it, but it's not unconditioned, meaning here's what it means for you, and we don't just sit back and do whatever we want 
and live life however we want to. Which is basically what Megan was trying to get at. Which is... But way more eloquent. No, that's, well, it's not, that's not what I meant by that. But meaning, like, which supports what Megan was trying to say. That's, that's what I was trying to say. No, it's true, but it was much prettier. Yeah. I mean, it's not original with me. But I, I, but I think that works, because like Megan said, that's... Like, God is the one that saves us and purchased our salvation on the cross. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to have faith in him and trust him. And then follow him, but it's still all him, and it's unconditionally based on him and his grace. But that doesn't mean that there aren't conditions that come with the covenant for our lives. So, is this just a, a little bit more? Um, <laughs> with the with the salvific covenant, if you will, is that one distinct from other covenants, or can we really? Is that apples to apples with all the other covenants? No, definitely not with every covenant. So the covenant that God makes at Mount Sinai with Israel, that's that's a very different covenant. But this one, this is like gospel covenant of bringing blessing to the nations. Like that's clearly Jesus. So I think this one would fall under that. I think you upset Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what's Brian doing? I don't see him. Probably going to the bathroom or something. <laughs> At the perfect time. I also wonder if this further connects with Romans eight thirty two, where it says like if God didn't spare His own Son. Like, will he not bless us? And then Abraham d- says, I'm not going to spare my son. And then God gives him blessing. So, I wonder if he yeah. kind of picks up on that in Romans. Yeah, that's true. And then even, again, going when you go back to the trees, the mountains, the testing, where here, Abraham's obedience and passing of the test on a mountain <laughs> unleashes God's blessing in a sense and so later on Jesus's obedience and passing of the test in on Golgotha and in the garden of Gethsemane that also releases blessings to all the nations so maybe there is some connection to that. I, that's a good question. and I, I don't know if I have a full understanding of how this fits into, or how this flows in the narrative. I'd have to sit down a little bit. So, I don't feel like I'm describing this well, <laughs> but I'll throw it out there. Um, I, it, this is kind of retraining the same ground again so I can kind of try to understand where we're going. Um, are we saying that um, whether or not God does a covenant uh-huh. is distinguished from once God does a covenant that he will follow through no matter what? So is there a condition, if you will, on our end as far as God doing that covenant and then once 
God commits to doing that covenant, then it's locked in place and that nothing that we do upsets that covenant. That might be a... I don't no, know if that's the I, right I mean, I get what you're. I, I see what you're going for. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I want to do more research. Yeah, I was gonna say hi. Covenants oh. and what those look like in scripture. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, as far as like the super big picture, the point seems to be that Abraham passes the test. He trusts God. He has faith. And God's and God uses that to accomplish His purposes and His promises, which is really really yeah. generic. But when you're looking at the flow of it, all right. Anything else on eleven through nineteen? So there's a lot more that we could think through, because obviously the New Testament looks back to this story and really draws a lot from it. So. There's another angel of the Lord calling himself the Lord. Yeah, yep, have it again. Mm -hmm. Which is super cool if that really... Like, I know there's debate about, like, who that is, but if it is Jesus, like, to have him, like... Not that he wasn't there, but, like, just, like, seeing his, Jesus's presence in an event foreshadowing Jesus and his death. Like, it's just cool to think about. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the narrator, the angel of the Lord called and then says, you have not withheld your only son from me. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring. When he says, by myself, I have sworn to yeah. praise the Lord. So. Alright, anything else? Um, we'll go back to Beersheba. I got nothing on 20 through the end. We're <laughs> still on 19. Yeah. Casey's More summary of 20 through the end. fulfilled type thing. You have nothing to say about Uzi. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's Buzz. Buzz Lightyear is in the Bible. Sure? Buzz has two Zs. That's true. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. It's Ooze and Booze. Way to, way to crash. I mean, Booze isn't much better, but... <laughs> Hold on, let me... Ooze and Booze. Booze. <laughs> let me find out how it's pronounced. Uh, sounds like a restaurant. <laughs> uh, Uz and Buzz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a translation error. I mean, <laughs> B U Z. Uh, okay, it, us, yep, us. it's booze. Anyway, <laughs> and is this Rebecca, the Rebecca I'm thinking of, by the way? That gets semi serious. Say that again. Um, it, the Rebecca that it's like uh, brought up in this uh, in 23? 20... <laughs> 20, is it 22 that Rebecca's brought up? 23. Yeah. So is, oh yeah, 23. Is is that the Rebecca that's talked about later? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think so. Yeah. 
think that's, know, that's the same one or just a coincidence. And, let's see. And it looks like it's spelled. Is that spelled the same way too? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because I think chapter twenty four tells looks us. Looks like it. Yeah. Chapter 24, verse 24, she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milka, or Milka, whatever her name is. Yes, I think <laughs> What'd you say, Jen? Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, 2415 says the same thing. Uh, Rebecca was born to Bethuel, son yeah. of Milka, mm -hmm. wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder, so definitely the same mm -hmm. person. Yep. So Isaac as well ends up marrying his like second cousin. I mean, who else are you gonna choose from? <laughs> Sounds like West Virginia. <laughs> Take me home. Country <laughs> road. I have a Skype does things to people. <laughs> I yeah, know. Some uh, someone smarter than I uh, remind me what Rebecca is. Uh, I mean, I know she, I know she's brought up, but I can't remember what she did. Well, that'd be spoilers, right? <laughs> well, okay, if we're I not going to continue I in Genesis, go it's going to gonna be a long time waiting. <laughs> well, that's twenty-four. We said we were going to go through twenty-five. Oh yeah. Never mind. Scratch that. Okay, so she's brought up later in Genesis. She doesn't have, like, yeah, something later on. Uh -huh. There's a couple stories related to her, right. a couple narratives. All right, she so no spoiler alerts. Yeah, okay. yeah, she ends up marrying Isaac, but... Oh, there we are. There you did it. I'm what in the world? world? I'm sorry. I guess we can skip all of chapter 24, then. <laughs> it was a long chapter anyway, so, yeah. I'm really this for the love story. I can't wait for that uh, the commentary about the, <laughs> the lighting of the camel and all that. That should be fun. Alright, anything on 20 There's, through uh, 24? Yeah. It's it interesting to see how yeah. genealogy always like follows something serious or like follows a section of the Bible. Like it's almost like like a new table. Like, you know, like in a presentation when you like get to the table of contents slide between each major section like i feel like that's what the genealogies are yeah so it's almost like so i have a question yeah oh sorry i'm interrupting your point no Go that's ahead. okay i'm done um uh, i guess i'm just curious like another concubine is mentioned in 24 and um i'm just curious what to think of that because as far as i understand it seems very clear although references aren't really jumping to my mind um but that god did not design the family unit in this way and yet we have you know another example of abraham fulfilling the promise if you will but in a in an unnatural way if we could say um is twenty four talking about Abraham or his fam or his brother? Oh, maybe maybe I'm off target here. Let's see. But twenty five does mention that uh, chapter twenty five mentions that Abraham had concubines. Yeah, so maybe I'm misapplying that particular verse, but the concept I think is still prevalent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I'm just curious. I, mean, I guess I'm curious too. Like, I don't think um, this is me getting off on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but um, I I don't think the Bible ex- does or does it? Does it explicitly call out concubines as besides Solomon? That kind of comes to mind. But like, <laughs> Jen, what are you laughing at? You know, con- condemning condemning that uh, particular practice, and yet it's so prevalent, especially in the beginning here of the Old Testament. I think she's wondering the status of her marriage right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to have to mute. We'll be right back. <laughs> this might be the... F- is, this the first cu- is this the first cucumber vine we see so far mentioned Nuh-uh. in... Stop it. <laughs> um, I thought there was wasn't um, isn't Hagar identified as one? Yeah. Or no, just a maidservant. I can't remember. It's a maidservant, yeah. But there's maid's not Hagar. I thought there was another concubine of Abraham mentioned earlier. Um, I'm reading my notes on chapter 25, and it, I'm not sure when this happens, but it says Abraham has two had two concubines, Hagar and. Ketura. Oh. I guess it's just I guess it's just weird to me. Like I can understand how God could use um even something that would be identified as, you know, perhaps sinful even and still bring something good out of it and glorify himself out of it. Like man can't get in the way of God's glory ultimately. Um, but it's just odd to me that I don't recall a lot of, like, condemnation or punishment even of, well, maybe punishment's too far of a stretch because we don't, we don't necessarily yeah. know what's the motivation behind every single thing in the Bible. But um, I don't know, I guess I, was, I guess I just expected something a little more explicit mm-hmm. in terms of condemning that practice, and yet it seems to pop up over and over and over again. But it's interesting me. because... Like, I think about Joseph and Mary, and, like, Joseph was going to stone Mary for being unfaithful. So, it seems like there's, like, unfaithfulness is condemned, like, really seriously to the fact that there's, like, public stonings of people. I mean, Proverbs gives some principles as far as, you know, discussing... Like, which is, well, interestingly enough, the author, but, um, mm-hmm. like, you know, like the wife of your youth and not being led astray by other women. And mm-hmm. some of those, like, concepts are highlighted there, but it's not like, hey, like, this is not okay. Yeah. Well, right? Everyone was married to Hagar and I think to Keturah too. So, so then it's not necessarily like modern day prostitute. It's almost just like modern day polygamy, right? Sure. I can see that. Is it, um, uh, let me think here. Is it Jacob? Yeah, well, Jacob should be the example of any family dynamic. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he's got multiple wives and multiple concubines, I believe. Mm. 
Yeah, at least four that take prominent roles in the story. And I, I guess that one, by just looking at the overall narrative of the family and all the events that occur, that's, even if indirect, a way of showing the familial dysfunction and the yeah. result of, you know, what sin can lead to. But, I don't know, it's just interesting yeah. how there's not some, like, direct for forbidden forbidding of the practice yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it seems and that's a good i mean people have often thought that and that's a a a curious aspect of the bible it seems to fall under a similar onto the similar shelf space as something like slavery where slavery is kind of a gray matter in most of the bible so never never blessed but never outright condemned but we know that it's not ideal and not the way it's meant to be so it would seem like concu concubinary concubinary concubinage <laughs> concubinary <laughs> concubination concubination <laughs> 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 it would seem like it would fall under the <laughs> verb nature then we want to think about it right now <laughs> <laughs> where it would be like on the same shelf there's a mute button you could have muted me sorry <laughs> <laughs> where it would be like concub- concubine slavery having the shelf space of an effect of humans defining good and bad on their own terms that God uses but seems to just uh, overlook sounds bad, but in the grand scheme of things, overlook in the storyline of scripture with our ultimate goal set on the new heaven and new earth where things will be made right once again. Which doesn't answer everything, but... Something to that, though, of like not losing the narrative seems to really simplify it, but not missing the overall message or narrative of the Bible at the expense of, you know, these customs or whatever to your, to your point. Yeah. Cause just like, just be, because it's that might in be the... why it's not parked on. Exactly. And just cause it's like, God is working through a particular culture and there's going to be, every culture has things that are good and bad and neutral and God doesn't, always automatically just wipe away everything that's bad sometimes he still operates within that culture without taking the time like you said to park on every moral wrong and shortcoming for the sake of his bigger purposes which would be like slavery again where it's like well you can't find a thou shalt not have slavery for the in general like there's some clear aspects of it but it's like, well, it's not ideal, and God is still working to restore humanity to what it should be. Any other final thoughts on that? Otherwise, just probably uh, wrap it up there. All right, guys.
Well, uh, let's do some takeaways then, shall we? So, thumbs up from Casey, so. <laughs> well, let's go in the same order, shall we? So, Casey, takeaway for you. Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we, <laughs> we went out of order here. I wasn't first. I didn't think. Was I? Oh, no, Megan was first. You're right, you're right. Yep. Megan. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I think for me... It was, um, what really stuck out to me was just like the foreshadowing of Jesus and the cross. I think that was really cool just to see it in kind of a heightened level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big one. Mm -hmm. All right, now you're up, Casey. All right, got to collect the thoughts, so, uh. Probably, man, I, just, I actually really thought it was kind of cool to see a different perspective about the um, Abraham maybe line. And while I don't, I don't 100%, I don't, I don't see it based on Hebrews 11, I definitely appreciated just the challenge of my own beliefs because, you know, to take it at face value, I wouldn't have thought that. Um, had thought uh, about the passage in that way had not somebody else challenged me on that. So I actually appreciate the different perspective on um, what Abraham was talking to, or his intentions behind the statements to the young men um, being perhaps mischievous. Uh, that actually yeah. was, I, I enjoyed that conversation actually considerably to, to, yeah, to flush that out and to see what, like basically solidify up for my own belief why I feel that that was more in the, a statement of faith and less of deception. So I really appreciated that. Cool. Yeah, it was good. Brian, for you? Um, yeah, so I, I just kind of like the whole faith aspect of this. Um, he, it did seem like Abraham didn't know what was going to happen. Um, yeah. just as we, you know, normally never know what's going to happen, but he knew God's earlier promise of that his seed would, you know, be like the stars in the sky. Yeah. So he, he knew, he knew it was going to, you know, whether if he was thinking that his son would be raised or if God would stop him or if something even better would happen that he would couldn't comprehend, like, you know, Jesus being resurrected or something like that. It, yeah. It, I think it, it's, it shows that, yeah, he did have trust in God. Um, he, but I, I think he, like us, just, he didn't know what, what the outcome might be, but he, he knew that God would, you know, do what is good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really good. Sweet. G-Man for you. Um, Um, I mean, it'd be pretty simple, but I think I'm still processing it a little bit. I think just, um, I think growing up hearing this story so many times over, the initial default position is like, the, you know, the Genesis 22 and the sacrifice of Isaac, that's all about Abraham and his faith, and then God uh, rewarding that faith, and then you move on to the next story. Sure. And so I guess I, I would just say that I really appreciate um, 
just kind of like the the slow drive through of this passage as yeah. opposed to just like zooming on by and okay. um just like the potential gospel tie-ins and kind of breaking things down and looking specifically how uh the particular narrative unfolds um so i guess what i'm trying to say in a rambling way is um seeing genesis 22 in a different way than what yeah i have probably been accustomed to seeing it in yeah, totally. I think we're all <laughs> all there in some way, shape, or form, for sure. Jen, for you? Oh. <laughs> um, I think probably a lot of what you guys have mentioned already, and especially what Megan had said at the beginning, just about, like, um, you know, a chance to walk through and see a lot of the metaphor, um, metaphorical language, I guess, throughout, and um, little like motifs that I don't remember reading on that quick read through, like, like Garrett had mentioned. So, um, yeah, just seeing the picture that this paints, not as just a story of like, have more faith, but like, as a part of a, like a larger narrative pointing to something more ultimate. So, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, for me, probably two things. Uh, I think one would be the uh, have more faith <laughs> aspect of it, at least for me, seeing more in the line of, like, it is, it's good for me to be tested and good for me to put legs and feet to my faith. So, so being reminded of that, because so much of, and that's just the balance of the Christian life, of so much of Genesis that we've read so far has been... Uh, so focused on God as it should be, but then turning around and seeing, okay, now here's a very poignant story to remind me that it's not just me sitting back and, and trusting in God, but that if I really trust God, then I'll get out and get working and get busy and, and mm -hmm. actually put my faith to work. So, so trying to think of James too, in light of that as well. So I was just encouraged. And even during this time, kind of feeling like faith is being tested a little bit to actually put it to put it to work so that was uh, that was a good reminder i need for that and then seeing the connection of mm -hmm. abraham offering up isaac and then how paul uses that same vocabulary to describe what god did with his son and then paul's conclusion is like god's gonna take care of us because he's given us his son so being reminded of that was a good like yeah all right abraham gave up his son that's a symbol for what God did with his son, and therefore I have all that I need, and I can be content in that and satisfied in that. So that was a comforting aspect as well. Well, guys, we've done what we always do, just in a slightly different format. And we'll, uh, we'll do it again next week. So I'll close some oh, prayer, and then maybe uh, if people want to do a quick quiplash or droffle game, maybe we can try to do that virtually <laughs> all right i'll close in prayer god we thank you for genesis 22 thank you for the gift of technology that god we certainly wish to be together uh, physically but we do thank you that we can still meet in a modified form and so god we thank you for this uh, story and the reminders of the gospel thank you that you did not withhold your son from us but freely gave your son to us father help us to be uh, those that put our faith to work and that we would not just trust you in word, but that we would trust you with our whole lives and our actions. So God, thank you so much. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. All right. You've been listening to the Monday Night Musings podcast. We hope you enjoyed exploring deep and exploring wide with us through this chapter of the Bible. And we'll do it again next week.